Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 55 with the amazing MAPT team. Now one member stronger, Verinia Granum. Welcome to the team. Thank you. Thank you. Verinia, former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising office at Hofstra University. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the team and sharing your wisdom with the uh, the MAPT members here today. Happy to be here. Thank you, Ryan. Excited to have you. As always, I'm joined by the boring, same old Dr. <laughs> Scott Ride and Rachel Grubbs. Blah, blah. Wah, no, just kidding. Wah, wah, <laughs> wah, wah. Dr. Scott Ride, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Uh, I'm sweating a little bit here in Austin, Texas. It's 99 degrees here today. So. It is hot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hot, hot, hot. It's cooking. Rachel Grubbs, MAPT co-founder, MCAT test prep extraordinaire and pre-med expert. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm not sweating at all, which is the way I like it. Uh, very, very, very privileged to have excellent air conditioning. Yes. Yes. Same here. Nice. Yes. Same here. That is wonderful. If we if we turn yep. down our air conditioning too much, it freezes. And then we got to turn it off for a while. It's not fun. Oh, my goodness. That's all right. Um, I'm excited to jump in and and answer a ton of questions today. But Verinia, I want to start with you first and put you on the hot seat. Uh What is your take on the biggest mistake you've seen pre-meds make time and time again? Waiting until the last minute to figure out that this is the year for them to apply. This is not something you sort of just wake up one day and decide, yep, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but, but that's not what the double AMC said. The Fauci effect to the, the pandemic happened mm. and like thousands of students just were like, I'm going to apply this year. Yeah, no, I, you know, you might want to, I mean, you know, you know, when you're ready, it's um, not something that you want to just jump right in. Um, it really does take some, some planning ahead. Um, and really, it's not something you kind of just want to say, hey, let me just try and see what happens. You really do want to have a strategy here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scott, as, as the former <laughs> director of admissions at UT Southwestern, could you tell if a student was like, oh, let me just see on an application? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you could, <clears throat> if they especially, especially if they were rushing uh, to get it in at the last minute. And uh, you could tell they were often mistakes or they had not prepared well or they were lacking. Um, we, we literally would have people call the, the admissions office number and would say, I decided I want to go to medical school. Can I enroll this year? <laughs> and it was like, well, first of all, you have to apply a year in advance. And then secondly, you have to prepare yourself. You have to take the MCAT. And well, I don't, I don't, that. <laughs> my yeah. my mommy said I could just apply. Yeah, and go to I can just get in. Yeah, I can just get. In. I remember one year we had a we had a student. Bless his heart, his personal statement was written in all caps. Oh, oh, my like sixty year old father in law does that because that's yeah. just what he's used to. Yeah, like, stop yeah. yelling at me. <laughs> all caps. I was like, oh, this is not good. Yeah, and then the guy was kind of somewhat confused when he didn't get an interview offer. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Oh well, well Verinia, that's just the first of many. We're going to put you on the hot seat a lot today, so you can uh, share your wisdom. Absolutely. Uh, yes, we are the four musketeers now, <laughs> not the three musketeers anymore. Um, first question here. You want to throw this one up here? I participated in an internship through my school where I shadowed many doctors and a variety of specialties at a single hospital. 
Should I list each physician separately or should I explain the experience as a whole for my activity description? Mm -hmm. Marinia, what do you think? My, my first instinct is to say it is one experience since mm -hmm. it was an internship through the school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't, and it was a single hospital. It wasn't at different locations. No. Yeah. Yep. So listing, just listing mm -hmm. all. One. Mm -hmm. one list in one activity. Scott, for, for shadowing, we talk about this a bunch. Shadowing is usually a pretty passive kind of right. activity, not a right. ton of impact that you can show through it. And there are some schools that want to see that you've shadowed a variety of physicians. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. potentially putting mm -hmm. each physician in their specialty. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I would definitely say in this, in this kind of case, um, I, I would say you definitely want to list out the specialties that you've uh, done. Maybe not the specific doctor's names, but since it's a shadowing experience through an internship, I, I like what Verenia said, just uh, listing out the specialties that you shadowed and the location and then uh, a little bit about, you know, kind of what you got out of it, as opposed to just listing out X, Y, Z people, and that's it. Mm -hmm. oh. There you go. A little bit of it, some differing opinions there. I started helping out a fellow pre-med who has cerebral palsy. It's always hard for me to say. Cerebral, cerebral palsy. Do you guys have any advice for someone who is living with a physical disability and how to be successful in the pre-med process? The student is a Canadian applicant. Hmm. So, Scott, what's your experience um, with applications coming across the desk where the student clearly is like, hey, I have this sort of yeah. disability? Yeah, we had a uh, – it's very limited, frankly. Uh, hmm. I think there's not – uh, my experience uh, was very limited. We had uh, one year a, a, a deaf applicant who um, we had to hire uh, sign interpreters <coughs> for the, uh, which is fine. Uh, that was not a problem to uh, to um, um, deal with uh, the the interview day, et cetera. And uh, but w what it basically came down to in that particular case was the unwillingness of the admissions committee to um, anticipate making uh, the necessary accommodations. This particular student um, read lips uh, and was, was pretty adept at reading lips. But the point was in a, sur you know, in a surgical um, rotation, how do you do that? Everybody has masks on. Yeah. And so you can't read lips and you can't have an interpreter in the surgical suite, uh, you know, and then the interpreter, it, would, it was just the logistics of it was were a little mind boggling. Now, I know that there's there are schools out there who have had blind students and uh, who have had um, deaf students and, uh, you know, not in, in based on the individual school's willingness to uh, provide accommodations for the student. So, but, but the question here really is more in the, in the application process, uh, not so much, but I, I would say <clears throat> for anybody that has a disability, uh, that's a fairly significant disability uh, that you need to be willing to find because some schools are going to be more willing to, to reach out to, uh, to disabled uh, applicants than others will be. Yeah. Uh, you know, just frankly, uh, there's going to be schools that are going to be going to take a real conservative uh, uh, avenue with it and will say, you know, you got to toe the line and all of the, you know, we're not going to accommodate you in terms of that that's going to radically change the curriculum. And, uh, and that's the, and so, so I think a, a student has to find schools that are willing to, uh, to reach out and to meet meet uh, meet them halfway. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation. And uh, as the father of someone who has a disability, yep. thinking in in the future of of what she's going to need in mm -hmm. in terms of accommodations, mm -hmm. I, I would hope that every medical school is going to make those accommodations, but. Let's be honest. People are people, and yep. and people are set in their ways sometimes. And yep. 
it's exactly as you said, it's like, I just, do do I want to bother with this? Yes. Yeah. It's it's an unfortunate situation and I don't know. There's, there's lots of, of nuances there, but Mm -hmm. that's just the way you are. I totally agree with you, uh, Ryan. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a awkward and difficult situation. And, uh, and I think that um, it, you know, we we at Mapped we like to think that um, everybody has the has the chance, has the possibility that this is going to be able to to happen for them, and uh, and we believe that, and and so I think that it's very much a uh, difficult road to follow. I, I think that um, in terms of the application process for this particular student, uh, I think they have to be straight up honest and say this is this is where these are the, the these are the you know. Uh, this is why I want to be a doctor, and uh, and obviously an interview interview day. Uh, it's going to be you know pretty clear depending on the extent of their disability how uh, how that may affect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I'll chime in here is that on National Pre Med Day we did have a session about disabilities in healthcare, um, and sometimes I'm bad at remembering names, so maybe one of the guys can chime in. Um, but Peter, no, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was talking about his experience as a doctor with disability, but also um, at Stanford Med, he's founded a group that is trying to help make um, help make disabilities well more understood and make accommodations more readily available. Yeah, um, and they're looking at it from healthcare provider and patient side, mm-hmm. so sort of throughout the Stanford Med community. And, you know, I think that's wonderful. Hopefully that kind of thing will get replicated at more institutions. But I would definitely recommend to this, uh, to anyone, you know, this student who's asking on behalf of a friend, but anyone who's interested in pursuing medicine with disability to to check that out. And, um, you know, he just offered some wisdom and the ways to think about it and ways to advocate that could be useful. Yeah, yeah. And that's at map.tv. It was, you know, or on nationalpremedday.com. You can find it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, next question. Welcome, Verinia. As a white female from the suburbs, I'm struggling with the diversity secondary prompt. I've made an effort since since being an undergrad to branch out and interact with people who are not like myself. Can I elaborate on my experiences for this essay? Hmm. (laughs) Scott, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think you, you know, what we, we all bring different perspectives uh, to life, uh, to the certainly to the educational endeavor. And uh, I, I think the challenge for uh, some students is to is to find what is it that I bring. And, and, and so I would I would challenge the student to say what um, not just what am I going to write in this essay? But to think deeply about what do I have to offer here? What is it that I bring to the table? Um, maybe that's experiences. Uh, maybe that's something inherently that I am. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, talking about experiences that you had with other other cultures, whether it's through traveling or or, or uh, <clears throat> or other things, and, and, and really just talking about that. But the key to these questions about diversity is is what am I going to bring to the table that's going to provide a, a broader uh, educational experience for those in my class? And uh, and this really, uh, and, and I understand what the student is saying. I, I think that uh, um, their point of view is, is really... Um, uh, I don't feel like I bring much to the table. That's kind of what I'm reading between the lines in this in this question, and uh, and so I think there's some some deep thought necessary here to say to to examine what what do I bring, you know, what do I bring to this? Yeah, and Brenia, could, what do you think? And if I could add, um, I would also just talk about what you know, what did the student learn from that experience? Um, Not only what can I bring, but what have I learned about myself, about others, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to kind of highlight um, that this wasn't something that you did to sort of check off a box, that there was a genuine um, 
vested interest in, in learning about others and other cultures mm-hmm. and other mm-hmm. abilities or things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the cis, cis white community is, it thinks that this diversity essay, everyone else who's not a cis white male or female <laughs> or whatever is, is just sitting there going, well, I'm black. There's my diversity or I'm Hispanic. There's my diversity. And it's just so much more than that, right? It's mm-hmm. diversity of thought, not just what, what we think of, of diversity in terms of skin color or, or anything like ethnicity or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The way that I challenge students to think about this question is, is what experiences do you have? And that's just life experiences, not yep. skin color, but what life experiences do yep. you have? And, and what did you learn from them that you think will add to the educational environment for, mm-hmm. uh, of your peers? That mm-hmm. diversity of thought is the important part. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, the final thing I'll add on this topic, because I think it's a good one. We get questions like this a lot. So I'm answering for this person, but just all the other similar questions. Um, but, you know, like Scott, you were saying you're reading between the lines that maybe they feel like they're not diverse. I also feel like I'm reading between the lines, like I grew up sheltered. I'm trying to unshelter myself. I'm trying to become an ally. If you guys will accept the parlance, they're trying to get more woke, right? That's good. I don't think that goes on a diversity essay. That's just being a good human being. So mm-hmm. like, I definitely want to applaud you for doing the work because not everyone has figured out they have to do the work, yeah. but I want to separate that from your thoughts about a diversity. I mean, to the point Verinia made, if you really learned something eye-opening, it really impacted you and was meaningful. Maybe it's relevant, but um, making a couple friends, that's, that's just learning how to exist in the world. I'm not and again, good I have for a you. <laughs> right. Right. I was just thinking, right. Wasn't there something for the nineties? It was like, some of my best friends are like, yes. just yeah. don't, don't, don't yeah. do that. So again, <laughs> like no disrespect to this person. I'm just saying, make sure you're separating your path to being yep. not just living in peace, but living in love, which mm-hmm. we should all be doing mm-hmm. from what is the unique thing that you bring. Yep. Kumbaya, my lord. Uh, the, <laughs> what, they, what they wrote about in their question is actually a very common secondary essay prompt yep. of tell me a time where you've worked with people who are different from yourself. Yep. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very common. In fact, uh, TM, TMDSAS has a question in the primary on this. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's basically what are you what are you going to bring to the class, and you know, mm, yes, the, the value of diversity. Yep. <clears throat> so. All right, AP credit question. I got AP credit for classes I took in high school. However, after advice from others, I retook the class at my university, since some medical schools may not accept AP credit. However, after reading the AMCAS guide, it says that it would need to be considered as a repeat. Would there be a way for medical schools to know that I retook the class because of AP credit, not because I did poorly in the course? Hmm. Interesting. Is it considered a repeat? <laughs> Rachel, you're the AMCAS course classification queen. That's what I was just doing. So I'm thinking, is there something new in 2022 that I missed, or is this one of those things that looks like interpretation? We lost Rachel. <gasps> Rachel, us? come back. I'm She's here. there. You're here. <laughs> Yeah, Rachel, I, don't, I don't hear her. We I hear. I hear. Now, now you Scott. Oh, there you go. Okay, Ryan, everyone else could hear me, so you could just sit down. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I was just thinking, well, I'll repeat in case anyone else had the blackout. I don't know if there's something new in... Oh, Ryan took himself out of the stream. <laughs> Come back. Don't pout. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I don't know, person who's asking if you um, are I found something in the 22 handbook that I missed that you know was new this year. I mean, I did read it, but maybe I missed a new thing. Or if this is just an interpretation question. My understanding is you only really need to list AP credit if it was actually on your transcript as an accepted. No, you can list you can let me say it again. You can list AP credit two ways. You can say I got credit, but it didn't didn't translate to a class or I got credit and it did translate to a class. And if you got credit that translated to a class, so not just I got AP in English, but I got AP in English and it counts as English Lit 101. And then you decided to take English Lit 101, then yeah, that would be a repeat. 
But if you just had five hours of English and you decided to be safe, you were going to take English Lit 101. I don't think that reads as a repeat. Yeah. So that's my interpretation of that rule from memory. Again, when in doubt, RTFM, read the manual, which obviously you're doing. That's why you asked this question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, marking it as a repeat, just it's not an issue. So it's not an issue. See both classes and go credit A and they're going, oh, OK. Yeah. 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 And the, and the person asks, will there be a way for them to know? Yes, because you list every course you took ever, including yep. AP credit. So they'll see the AP credit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a good case of overthinking, um, overthinking the, the, the impact that that's going to have the one class that you have AP credit for and that you retook, what are they going to think about this one class? You know, many, many admissions committees are not even going to notice that. Uh, so yeah, I think that a uh, little, little overthinking, but you know, overthinking is not always bad. <laughs> As an overthinker myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome to I mean, the Overthinkers Anonymous group. <laughs> right. uh, I think this question asker might be a little confused, but we'll go ahead and put it up. Does your institution look at Casper and Snapshot and Duet with that, or the AA, uh, AAMC situational judgment test? How does that play into admissions there and at other institutions? So I think their institution, I think they're probably talking about UT Southwestern for Scott. Um, mm-hmm. So... Casper, right? Casper is going right. to be each individual medical school is going to use it in different ways, mm-hmm. pre-interview, post-interview, use it at all. Um, right, right. So it's really just a per school. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of schools that are requiring it, but aren't yet using it in their process. They're simply studying the impact of what it may be in a sort of retro kind of way yeah. once they get get a class then they'll look at those school look at the casper results and see what that added to their um you know what what that could have added to the process and so i've seen schools that have studied it for two three four years before they even implemented using it in their process yeah mm-hmm. the dr gray school of medicine as as this one user said that's our, our instance. Yeah. Not yet. Soon. 3024. Isn't that what we shot for? Yeah. I think we'll get there. A little over a thousand years. <laughs> I have a twin sister. We both are applying this cycle. Many things are similar in our application. Is that going to negatively affect us? No. No. I don't think so. I think uh, I've actually had uh, a few of these before. Um had uh, twins in uh, in one of my classes, and then, uh, ironically, uh, one year we had a set of twins in the class. We had we had two sets of twins in the class. They started dating and ended up marrying each other. Oh no! The, the twins married the twins. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. they weren't identical twins. That's been all yes. The, no, lately. they were. I they they yeah. were identical. Their kids were both cousins are, and no. siblings. Yeah, both siblings. sets. Yeah, both sets. Yeah. <gasps> Wild. Isn't that crazy? That's funny. Yep. I'm a PhD candidate who's interested in pursuing an MD after I finish my PhD. How might medical school admissions look at a student who's applying for an MD after completing a PhD with not so high undergraduate metrics? Yeah, this is a good question. And we, uh, I, in my experience, have had a few of these over time. Uh, it's somewhat unusual, uh, but not, not rare. Uh, but, um, I, I would say it depends a little bit on the medical school and it depends on what the PhD is in. Um, the questioner here does not indicate, uh, I don't think they did the, um, the topic, the discipline of, for their PhD. Uh, I'm assuming perhaps it's in uh, a science field, but uh, doesn't indicate that here. So it will, it will depend on that. Um, it will depend a little bit on, uh, 
on uh, their uh, MCAT score as well will help the, help the admissions committee understand better uh, what uh, what their capabilities are. Um, but uh, because doing a PhD, just like in medical school, do, at a, in a in a uh, health sciences center type atmosphere, doing a PhD is very different uh, than med school. Uh, it's not it's not going to be the same kind of you know, thing at all. Uh, so, uh, so I think that uh, the med schools are going to look very carefully at uh, what what's going on, what what the goals are. Uh, but um, it is going to depend a little bit on the discipline of the PhD, as well as uh, other things in the uh, in the application. From my experience. All right. If I have a poor CARS subsection, a 123 CARS, and an MCAT score of 507, assuming the rest of my application is strong, good activities, 3.8 cumulative, 3.7 science, how much does that limit my competitiveness? Schools won't tell me much about my cutoffs, about any cutoffs, and MSAR is depressing when it comes to people accepted with such a low subsection score. <laughs> Brittany, what's your... What's your uh, understanding of subsection scores in the MCAT? Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, it's, I, in my experience, I've always sort of been um, trained or taught that really the, the, the physical sciences sections are like, right, the most important. Mm -hmm. And, um, but having said that, obviously, you know, it's an important score too. I. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the subsection scores are, are very often online. Um, students very often think subsection scores weigh a lot heavier than they do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, they, with that. They're very concerned about unbalanced. It's an unbalanced MCAT is the language they use. And it's just like, um, like stop worrying so much. 507 is a great score, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Solid. Mm -hmm. Right. Solid are there score. some schools that will filter out with a subsection of 123? Yeah, potentially. You know, we didn't, we didn't used to now, this was back in the old MCAT days. Uh, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't filter for sub sub scores, but we did notice if a, if back in the day, the verbal score was notably lower and if you remember, and, uh, you know, you guys will remember the, the old MCAT, uh, we would have sometimes scores uh, on the verbal reasoning section that were, were five, four, you know, five or a four. And that was a little concerning uh, to, to our admissions committee. Uh, but, you know, we, we had some students that uh, were in, where English was the second language and, uh, and the, the verbal reasoning part uh, really was challenging. Uh, they could get through the sciences pretty easily and, and did well in the sciences and uh, and the verbal reasoning caused them problems. And so I, I think, you know, I'd be interested to hear, um, you know, Rachel, your your take on that too, and, and just in terms of cars. Yeah. Uh, well, with, you know, uh, yeah, with a three-section MCAT, um, I think cars uh, – didn't get the same kind of attention because it was considered verbal reasoning, right? Mm -hmm. It was still called verbal. And there was this section that was like, are you fluent in English? Right. Like the right. GRE writing, right. Which right. is really there as a check. Right. Um, with critical analysis and reasoning skills, which is what the cars is, I see it as not just an English ability, but as your ability to, to logic and problem solve. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that, a low section score in any one of the four sections is the end of the world. Um, you know, 123 is not great, but a 507 is a fine score. That, oh, solid. that, that GPA is really impressive. Um, if I were this person, I would not be super worried. Um, I'm only looking at a writing sample of two sentences, but I am guessing native English speaker. Mm -hmm. um, so, my guess is just that a lot of people get a mental block on cars, like the topic is boring, so they think it's hard, even though psych -soch is almost all reading and analysis. Mm -hmm. and they often do totally fine on psych -soch. Mm -hmm. um, So mm -hmm. I think, you know, 
uh, I guess the, the short answer we're all saying here is you're right. Schools won't tell you. And there may be some cutoffs, but I don't think that there are many. And I also don't think that it's cause for alarm. I agree with that. Yep. Last, last year on National Pre-Med Day, we did a mission accepted interview and the, that student had a 121 in, on her car score. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now she was non-native English speaker. She's fluent, but not native. Yep. Um, I think had come to the States maybe when she was 14 or 15. Yeah. In her teen years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she was really still learning to think in academic English. In, in, in MCAT English. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, which is a whole separate thing from <laughs> academic English. <right>? Yes. <laughs> They're their own dialects. <laughs> All right. I have the opportunity to work with patients as an MA in reproductive endocrinology and no certification is required for the position. Is this an issue for adcoms in any way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nope. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome position. Uh, great experience. Uh, that's excellent. Yeah. Here in Colorado where I live, you don't need a, any sort of training or cert- mm-hmm. no certificate. It's just on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, just and they already have their uh, bedside manner in place and their communication skills going. Yep. Yeah, agreed. I love that. I like that. I like that work even better than uh, mm-hmm. even better than scribe work mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Sorry, right. Rachel. It's all right. It's a really long one. It might get cut off. Uh, we'll try it. Hi, everyone. This is my first time asking a question. Welcome, welcome. First time caller, long time listener. Is that the... Yeah, yeah right. you recommend addressing red flags in the application? In particular, my low post-bag GPA. It was my first time taking prereqs, but also had to work full-time for the first time. I've heard Dr. A say to mention a sentence or two in the personal statement and the adcoms ask in an interview, but I wanted to know your thoughts. I did well in undergrad, and I think I'm a well-rounded applicant otherwise. So here's the first question that I'll throw at you, Scott. If someone struggled in post-bac, should they apply or do they need more work, especially if those are the prereqs? Yeah, I would say they need more work. Um, my, my concern, if I was an admissions officer and I was letting somebody into a challenging, rigorous curriculum and the basic classes that led to that curriculum they struggled in, this would concern me greatly. So uh, I would say uh, ground, ground yourself, uh, you know, hard, hard, hard lessons to learn. Don't go into a post-bac program, particularly if you're doing it full-time while you're working full-time. Now, I know a lot of students have to do that, but that, that's challenging at, at an extreme, and I uh, would get very concerned about um, because what I don't know is is it just because they're working full time, or is there something else going on? Yep. Is, are they struggling with the material? That I don't know, and that's what the grades don't tell me. So I would, you know, you can say, "Well, I was working full time," but that doesn't help me know can you do the work? Yeah. Stumbling into the finish line is is not the picture that you want to give mm-hmm. medical schools, and unfortunately, it sounds like this is what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, answer. Let's answer the question. If they want to apply, right? We we can't prevent them from, apply, from right. applying. Right. Where do they mention a red flag? And now, in in my personal statement, I book book. I say a sentence or two of just. Hey, just so you know, I know this is going to, you're going to see this and let's talk about it later kind of comment potentially. Yeah. yeah. What do yeah. you typically recommend? If it makes sense within the context of the personal statement, uh, don't just throw a red flag warning in there in a random kind of way. I've seen that before and it just, you know, throws the whole symmetry of the, of the essay off and it just, you know, really, really doesn't fit. So I, I think you have to do it in a way that's going to make sense, that's going to flow with what you're doing else otherwise in the essay. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, for, uh, with AMCAS in particular, there's not a whole lot of other places to do that. 
you know, you you uh, you struggle finding places. You have to depend uh, otherwise on secondary applications where there sometimes are questions that say, is there anything else you want to tell us? Or uh, can you address any challenges you faced? Or, you know, there may be other places in the secondary app where you could do that. Uh, outside of that, with AMCAS in particular, I think it's uh, it's a little difficult to uh, to to uh, to do that within the context of a personal statement, unless it makes sense in in, in terms of what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Does undergraduate university play a role in the admissions process? For example, would Medical schools view applicants coming from CSU <laughs> schools differently than those coming from UC schools. This this comes up all the time, and specifically CSU UC. Yes, I yes. I don't understand yes. this like rivalry. It always yes. two state-funded university systems. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's this weird yes. thing in California where they just think the University of California system is like head and shoulders of like California State. Yes. When they're both perfectly respectable, great state institutions. Yes. Yeah, and I think that UC schools do need to keep in mind this 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 uh, this questioner needs to keep in mind that UC schools are unfortunately public institutions, and unless you're coming from a private school, you don't have a chance. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that was me giving them a heart attack. <laughs> I was believing him. That was me. I don't know anything about California. <laughs> I'm on the East Coast. Not nice. <laughs> no, uh, and, and actually, this is a, a reasonable question. And my my the, the question being the rigor rigor of the institution or and or the rigor of the undergraduate curriculum uh, through their major. And even drilling down to specific classes that they're taking or class or course load, uh, and so I think m many um, admissions committees do recognize that not all schools are the same. Uh, that uh, there are uh, not all majors are the same in terms of rigor, and uh, and and what the, what an admissions committee does with that is on a case by case basis. In my experience, there is no alteration uh, mathematically in a systemic way to the GPA based on where you went to school or what your major was. It's a case-by-case -case basis looking at who is this student, what are they all about, what's their GPA, what's their major, where did they go to school, What's it all about? What 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 were they doing extracurricularly? Were they working full time? Were they uh, in, in um, uh, a varsity athlete, for example? So there's a lot of things that go into that decision making process, and uh, that's uh, part of uh, what the role of the admissions committee is is to look at that stuff. But uh, I do not think that there's a systematic way where they are uh, altering or treating everybody that came from a UC school one way or a um, CSU school another way uh, across the board. Yeah. And I guess what I would say, because, you know, the California example does come up a lot, I guess. Just yeah, it it's does. Large, right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. in a lot of states, there are a lot of state rivalry of schools. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Ohio State used to be one of the easiest schools in the world to get into. And I think last year their average ACT was a 30. Like, that's pretty competitive for a public yeah. institution with 48,000 undergraduate students. Yeah. Uh, 30's pretty high for how big that school is. So, yeah, within the state of Ohio, there's a lot of like, oh, you got, got into Ohio State, not OU, you know, like, like that, you know, because it is understood that it's harder. But outside of the region, people are just going, oh, yeah, you're lucky to live in a state with great public schools. Yep. Right? Like they're yep. not making those nuances. It's just there's there's 7,000 post-secondary institutions like that level of nuance that you're excited about locally is just not well known or cared about outside yeah. of your town or state. Yeah. Yep. All right. Back to disabilities. If one gets accommodations for coursework and or the MCAT due to any type of disability, do they have to report it to medical schools or would medical schools see it on a transcript? 
No. So previously, no. right, the old MCAT, um, n- not mm-hmm. necessarily just the old MCAT, but the AAMC in years yep. past would asterisk your MCAT score. Yep. If you got yep. accommodations. And yep. the ADA was like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't no. do that. Can't yep. do that. <laughs> Can't do that. Nope. Yep. Um, so that's good news. It's still really, really hard, but it's getting a little better. Yeah. Fighting the good fight. Yeah. All right. I regrettably have an institutional action for Googling answers to a homework assignment. Not suspended or anything, just a zero for the assignment. My professor from that class is now writing me an LOR. What are your general thoughts on this? I owned up to it then and will own up to it now on my application. Yeah. Just that's what you it. do. Yeah, that's all you can do. Yeah, I think um, that you know you have to just talk about what uh, what you learned from the situation. Uh, that's the key uh, to it. Is you you explain in a in a in a uh, limited kind of way what the situation was, and then you quickly move on to what what did I learn from this? Why why I'm a better person now that having gone through this than than I was before? What 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 was this uh, learning uh, all about? It's interesting that they're asking the professor to write them mm-hmm. the letter of recommendation. Um, and if the professor is doing it, then I guess they were willing to kind of, you know, see past that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. They must, they yeah. must know the student. The student turned it around. And yeah. Right. yeah. That's all yeah. good. Hopefully. Hopefully yep. they're not saying something else in the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. what I was just thinking is like yeah. there's a small chance that the student felt desperate, didn't know who to ask, and the professor has said yes and is going to now damn them with faint praise. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a higher mm-hmm. chance that this means I've shown growth and this professor can talk about my growth. Yes. Um, question yes. after, reflect upon yourself and make sure you're in the good group. Yeah. <laughs> good um, point. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess the other thing I'll mention, if you guys don't know already, when you're using Coursera or Canvas or whatever online tool, when you click away, they see. They know how many seconds and minutes per question. They know what tab you're on. They see everything you're doing. Yeah, so. I, I saw that on TikTok recently of of the behind the scenes report of <coughs> a student was on this question, clicked away from Coursera, was on another tab for X number of minutes, came back, moved to the next question, clicked away for X number. And it's like, yeah, that's that, that doesn't jive. Yeah, and one click away might be Facebook popped up and then I went, shit, I forgot to disable it. And you close that tab. Like, they're not, you know, but if you click away for 14 minutes for every question, then yeah, yeah. I guess when you're Googling the answers. Yep, yep. Um, PSA to everyone. Big Brother yep. is watching. Yes. And, and, you know, and, and even if, even if, and and let me just point this out and and let me just get a little philosophical here for a second. Um, This is an issue of integrity. This is not an issue of getting caught and figuring out what not to do because you might get caught. This is an issue of integrity. And the, the, the issue here is we need to be we need caregivers who are people of integrity because we have problems in this country with uh, whether it's a doctor or a dentist or a pharmacist or some other mid-level provider who they're getting in trouble because they're padding their Medicaid uh, uh, reimbursements or they're writing opioid out the wazoo uh, you know, because they're getting kickbacks. Yeah. 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 I mean, so this is an issue. This is a big issue. Uh, One of the, one of the double AMC personal uh, competencies, these come into play when we're talking about, uh, when we're talking about integrity, when we're talking about uh, ethical behaviors. And, uh, and so what, what this isn't about is I might, I might get caught, so I'm not going to do it. This is about I am not going to do this because I am better than that. <laughs> so I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> um, yeah. We all make mistakes. But, yeah, think about being your best self. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I used to always say. Uh, when I was managing lots of like 
low experience employees that good employees make mistakes and bad employees try to hide them. Yep. You know, like nothing was more important to me mm-hmm. than them coming to me to be like, here's what I did. How do we fix? Yeah. <laughs> as long as they were doing that, their job was pretty safe. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, integrity. Doing right. the right thing. Even when no one is looking. That's right. That's, what that's it right. Is. Okay, so we've got a question that's essentially an am I ready question. I don't think we're going to have sufficient data, but since a lot of people ask these, we can use it as a case. 3.3 cumulative, 3.0 science, immigrated to the U.S. when I was 16. In high school, I only had English and history for three years. Starting a university science course after that gap was really hard. Senior year of 30 credits out of 3.8, mostly science. I had overcome many challenges. I have a 506 MCAT. Should I apply? Mm-hmm. So last 30 credits, 3.8. Nice mm-hmm. little upward trend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would say I'd like to see... I'd, I'd, I'd really like to see the progression of GPAs over time uh, beyond the 30 credits in the senior year, um, but that's a good sign. And so what I might suggest for this applicant is, uh, is post-bac uh, courses, uh, maybe a post-bac program uh, that is built for um, uh, GPA um, renovation type stuff. And uh, because a good, uh, particularly a, a uh, SMP might also, uh, many SMPs have, have as a component of their uh, course MCAT prep, and that might be beneficial uh, for the student. Uh, not that 506 is a bad MCAT score. It's uh, middling, I, I would say. But with, uh, with a challenging, uh, with a 3 3.3 GPA and more concerning the 3.0 science GPA, I'd be more comfortable with uh, with maybe some more uh, additional courses. A little bit more of a trend potentially. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing here that I think we all know, but is important to be stated to the audience is this question is only about stats and stats are not your whole story. So I don't know anything about your activities. I don't know if you have five hours of clinical or 5,000 hours of clinical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if any of those experiences were meaningful. Um, So um, we're never going to really be able to give you, I mean, we do do Am I Ready, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. YouTube and sometimes there's private Mm one-on-one sessions that you can buy on map.com. But when we do those, we're looking at the entire application. Right. And right now, what we're missing is all the kinds of stuff that would go in your essays, all of your history. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so one thing you might do, this question asker, is go watch some Am I Ready? We definitely had students with similar numbers to yours. Mm-hmm. I agree mm-hmm. with the guys that your numbers aren't terrifying, but more upward trend would be good. But mm-hmm. even if you decided to take a chance on the numbers, it still doesn't answer all the other questions I just posed. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Those are good words, Rachel. Thank you for that. Sometimes I have them. Oh, often. (laughs) I took the Casper test early in May, but recently decided not to apply this cycle. I tried to remove all schools from my list, but the test was already scored and says delivered. What should I do? Will they see my Casper score even though I'm not submitting an application? Thank you in advance. Yeah, you don't do anything. Yeah, don't do anything. You'll, you'll have to retake it next year. Yeah. Yep. It'll just be out there. No worries. Indeed. Yep. Uh, okay. So for last question, our friend at the beginning who was asking about diversity essays is going mm. to clarify a little. She's got a follow-up. Or he, I don't know. They, they have a follow-up. <laughs> um, 415, mm. four out of the 15 entries in my Work and activity section were leadership roles. Can I discuss my experiences as a leader in this prompt, even though I talk about those roles in my primary? I'm not sure. I'm not so I think she, Yeah, I'm not following. We were saying the diversity essay is what do you bring to the table? And she's. I think she's saying, could I say that what I bring is leadership? 
Okay. Sure. Yeah. It is Christy, yeah. right? Because she saw yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough to answer these subjective questions live on air, but. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fine. Yep. Yeah. The answer is yes. 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 It's a very common, I, I think, mistake that students make where they'll, in, in either a secondary prompt or response to a prompt, or in an interview reply, an interview answer, they'll weaken their answer because they're like, well, I already talked about that somewhere else. And so I'm going to talk about something else. I'm going to write about something else. When their truth, their, their true self and story is what they've already talked about. So talk about it again and maybe just reframe it or talk about it in a different angle. But answer the question to the best of your ability. Don't go... Well, I've already answered that question in this other place, so I'm going to give a different answer. You're just you're weakening your your answer, your mm -hmm, response, mm -hmm, unless mm -hmm. the prompt specifically says, unless you've talked about this in your elsewhere in your primary. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good tip. It's okay to visit the same piece of information multiple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think students worry about that sometimes. Well, I talked about that in my primary and in my EC descriptions. I don't want to talk about the same thing over again. <clears throat> and uh, and you know, I, I think reiterating something not exactly the same thing with the exact same language and stuff, but uh, talking about the same similar situations, multiple you know areas of the application. I don't see that as problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is amazing. Verinia Granham, first Ask the Dean in the book. Maybe so, next time uh, I can have my blue mapped background so I can match. Uh, probably, probably won't be next one, but yeah, we'll, we'll get you one. Yeah. Um, the, uh, after, after, after the probationary period. Oh, okay. Although we can get that you to creamedchurch.com totally and get you some t-shirts. Sure. Right. That's yeah. totally, totally joking. For I know, totally I know. I know. <laughs> so as our, awesome. as our newest advisor, your schedule and availability will be up on Mapped soon. So if you're looking, all of you Mapped members and future people watching on YouTube, if you're looking for some one-on-one -on -one help, uh, Dr. Scott Wright, you do one-on-one -on -one advising. Yep, I, I do. do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one through Mapped. Uh, Verinia, you will now be our newest one-on-one -on -one advisor extraordinaire. Um, what I love working with non-traditional students who have a backstory and are coming back to to medicine and and becoming mm -hmm. a physician. What what types of students light up your life? I I don't have a type. I love them all. Uh, <laughs> anxious nervous, non-traditional, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. even the ones that are following in mom and dad's footsteps will find a way to make your story unique. Um, so I embrace everyone. Yep. Awesome. Nice. I'm all about diversity. All people. That's right. All people. That's it. That's right. Awesome. I feel like Very I cool. should be playing Sister Sledge or something now, right? Like, ah. No, no. Uh, so Michael Jackson, we are the world. We are. I was going for I am every day. You're, you're sort of dating yourself on that one. <laughs> that was a good song back then. Yeah, well, that's, that's a, a very good song. Good song. That's I a very agree. good song. I agree. That's a very good song. I agree. You know, when you get it in your head, though, it stays. That's you're right. Welcome. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. For that. <laughs> All right, earworm? Everyone. The earworm? That's what it's called, an earworm? It is called yeah. an earworm. <laughs> <laughs> and Thank on that note, everyone. have yeah, a great right. night. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, all. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.